So today, we have a special guest for our podcast. It's our daughter, the no one other than Jade May Morgan. Hi. And this is a really important conversation. Uh, since we've had issues in our area, um, of a lot, we've experienced a lot of racism. It's brought up some concerns that Jade has talked about with us. So we thought she'd be the a good person to bring on and to talk to you all on our podcast. So, um, Jade, tell us a little bit about what kinds of feelings came up for you when we were um, witnessing the Black Lives Matter movement here in our village of, or in our city of Wauwatosa. Um, Well, when I saw what was all happening, it kind of... um, made me want to learn more about where these feelings, these negative feelings towards people of color were coming from. And it kind of disappointed me when I saw so many people close by who were so hateful. And so I, I've just been doing a lot more research recently, learning a lot more about how people of color have been affected, um, people of all colors, not just black, not just black Americans. Um, it's really sparked my interest in learning about how other people of color, such as me, are affected through by racism recently. So you bring up the question of, because you're Asian, mm-hmm. and there are, could be people out there that would think that you look more white then you do look like a person of color. How do you respond to those kinds of questions? Um, it, it genuinely does bother me when white people are telling me that I count as white because I look white. But in reality, recently, because of the coronavirus, there has been a lot of racism and hatred towards um, people like me and No, I don't think that we are treated like white people because we are still a minority, and but we're just a smaller minority than black Americans, and so the racism kind of gets looked over. Um, When you say it gets looked over, what does that feel like? Um, It makes me feel like I can't speak up as much about what I believe in because I feel shut down when I bring it up a lot. Uh, Like, who are you to complain, right? Yeah. Like, it could be so much worse. Like, you could be... Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, seeing, like, all these protests, all these innocent black people being killed by the police, honestly, yeah, obviously, that's a huge problem in the U.S., and it's... Might not be the best time to bring up other issues, but at the same time, it might be a good time now that we're all focused on racism and how people of color are treated. Yeah, and you know, uh, it, it's interesting you bring that up because I remember uh, around the time of when the the uh, coronavirus first came into the news and the way that it was referred to as the Chinese virus. Um, and as your mom, I, it, I took that really personally. I thought, 
you know, when I would see people post on social media about this virus being manufactured in China and talk, I mean, even though I've got my issues with the Chinese government, which we, uh, we won't get into, um, the fact that people call it the Chinese virus, therefore people think that Chinese people have something to do with this virus. Um, and I know you came home from school and you talked about, or not, well, <laughs> you stopped going to school for a while, but you talked about some comments you received from others. Can you recall those? Um, I mean, I'm just, when it started happening, I, some of my friends would like ask me, like, why do Chinese people act so weird? Why, why would they eat a bat? Like, stuff like that. It wasn't horrible stuff, but it did make me feel like they were turning this pandemic, well, what would be a pandemic, into um, a way to throw hatred at other people, a way to get their anger out on Asians and the, and the communities. And even though you're not the kind of person people would dislike, because you're not, you don't have that personality, I sense that you have a lot of empathy for anybody who is different. Yeah, definitely, because I myself am quite different from the majority of kids at my school. And when I see other people who aren't always, they don't, they aren't always like, the, the, they don't always fit in as well. Um, it just kind of, I don't know, It I can relate to them more. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think that that's kind of a double-edged sword. It's great to have compassion. It's great to have a soft heart. Um, but and, it, mm-hmm. and life experiences definitely helps with that coming from a person who is different, I can understand people who are different more. Hmm. Yeah. Boy, and that that there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, as somebody who knows what it's like to have a soft heart, um, and in a society that values competition and sort of needing to do whatever it takes to get ahead, no matter who you step on, um, I always I feel bad when anybody is. Uh, kind of tossed to the side or overlooked. And so when you share your experiences, especially because you're my daughter, and acknowledging that I'm white, your dad is white, and you're Asian, and your brother is Asian, I have had to look differently, or I've had to reassess who we are as a family. I can't just sit back and, you know, look at the news as if it doesn't affect me or as if it doesn't affect us because it does. And to add on to that, being raised by white people, I definitely am very a, a very whitewashed Asian. I don't have Asian culture in my life. I don't have an accent. I'm, I'm fluent in English. I have a Wisconsin accent. So I fit in well with the quote-unquote American stereotype. So now that I see all this racism towards Asians and I know that I look like an Asian, I have to go out of my way and learn about, you know, Asian culture and how they're being affected and even their own racism within their own communities because I don't learn that through being in a 
being raised by white parents. So mm. I yeah I have I've had to watch multiple videos of Asian Asian Americans talking about like how they feel about you know how they feel about their racism being downplayed because it is a common theme when I'm talking to other people who feel the same way as me. We feel as though right now, especially because of the black. What's happening with Black Lives Matter? We just feel as we wish we could speak up, but it's hard to when there's so much cruelty going on that's so like visible.、Mm-hmm. Because the Black Lives Matter movement has been so、um, such at the forefront of the、mm-hmm. news, and it's gotten a lot of negative press from certain media outlets and.、Um, Positive on the other, and sometimes it's hard to really even know what we're what we're looking at, what we're what we're seeing. And I can totally hear what you're saying about is this the time to bring up how I feel? I could see where you could think, well, that seems selfish, but it's not selfish because what what this black the Black Lives Matter movement has done is it's unearthed.、Um, Latent beliefs or or thoughts that people have been afraid or ashamed to bring up, and now they're exposed. And anybody who's different might feel、um, like they're like it's they're sensitive. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm I appreciate your sharing that, Jade. Do you remember growing up thinking, "Yeah, I look different from mom and dad," or anything like that? Or were you treated differently by the other kids? Where you kind of were puzzled, like, "Well, what do you mean?" I mean, you. I understand you've got these feelings nowadays, but what about when you were younger? I never really.、Um, well, so you guys were so open about my adoption from a young age. Oh so, yeah, we kidded you about being Chinese all the time. Yeah, so I knew that I looked different.、Um, it didn't really, it didn't really affect me how it does now, as far as getting my mind, like getting me, making me think more. But when I was younger, when I would have friends over, they wouldn't say stuff like, "Oh, you don't really look like your parents," and it got annoying. But I did realize that they're not used to adoptive families. They're not used to seeing a child who look who has black hair, but their parents have blonde hair. Well, you have brown hair, but. They would point it out, and I, it still does get pointed out. In fact, when I have new friends come over, they're like, "Oh, I didn't know you were adopted," and I think to myself, "Is that the first thought they had?" But then I remember that, like, not everyone, not everyone knows that I'm adopted, and I I forget about it. So the the thoughts enter your head. Do they kind of come into your head and then they're gone pretty quickly? Um, I mean, when my friends bring it up to me, it does go away pretty quickly because I remember that not that they're not adopted. 
But when I'm thinking about deeper stuff such as our race and how we experience the world, uh, it does it has stuck in my mind a lot longer recently. Then that makes sense because when I think about just human language and the way that we use language, we forget sometimes that, like even earlier when we started this show, I talked about being your mother and it simultaneously a lot of times there will be this disconnect and I'll have to think to myself, I'm not the only mother. Yeah. And that simultaneous reality is with me at all times. And that must be with you too, in some way, shape or form. Yeah, it definitely comes up. Well, it mostly comes up when I get frustrated with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, tell me about that. Well, or tell us about that. I mean, I, everyone, every kid has like a rebellious side. But when I don't want to do something or I feel like she's asking me to do something that's unreasonable I'm like well who is she to tell me to do something <laughs> but then I re- I, it doesn't stay for long mm-hmm. I realize like she, it's important life skills sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah we may be bouncing around here a little bit I wanted to ask oh shoot uh, where was that question Um, so your mom and I, when we started the adoption process, I forgot exactly where we heard it, but I was at least I was under the impression that it was a, a good thing to acknowledge your child's different race um, and to discuss that and be open about that, which we have. In fact, we've been so open as to kid you about it from time to time, you know. And I, I uh, sort of figured, well, better we kid you lovingly than someone else kid you in a mean-spirited way, you know, that way you're, you're already kind of used to having that being pointed out. And you look, you could look at them like, well, whatever. I mean, is that kind of true? Yeah, it's definitely helped. And also not talking about like difference of race, but I can't imagine other kids who aren't told that they were adopted from a young age. Like that just seems like trauma all over again. Hmm. To be told, A, that they're going to not be told that they were adopted, and then B, never discuss their racial appearance as being different. Well, and the fact that they felt like their parents couldn't be truthful with them or wanted to hide something for them. It, it would just make the situation worse. I, I, I would have to agree. Yeah. 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 And that's one way that I think the fact that it's when people do see our family, it's pretty obvious that you and your brother are adopted because you're Asian and we're not. Um, It's hard to imagine from the other point of view, though, from how other families see our family. Yeah, but we see other adoptive families, and it's sort of like, eh, okay, no big deal. You know, obviously we're so used to it. But for her, it might feel different because it's For me, because I'm inside my body, Yeah, I don't see two white parents and an Asian. (laughs) <laughs> if that makes sense it's it's no, kind of it hard to see no it yeah. makes total sense it's yeah. like you know you're you're the fish in the fish bowl yeah and this is the water that you're swimming in so it's hard to like get outside the fish bowl and look at <laughs> look inside you know and i think the fact that you're asian 
that is really not a big deal. I mean, you are a completely Americanized kid. I mean, I mean, you. There are people who are Asian, multiple generations in our country. They totally act American. They dress American. I mean, it's they're just of Asian descent. So like, whatever, you know. And that's kind of how you strike me. It's like you're totally Americanized. Yeah, and back to what I was saying earlier, how I was. I'm raised by white parents, so therefore I have white culture. But I do forget that there's all other first-generation a- Asian immigrants who still retain their culture, which is very different from how I grow up. So there's some kids from my school who are ethnically Asian, and they practice the same the same culture as how their parents did and how their ancestors did. And so being raised by white people and acting American, I don't have many Asian friends. You, you bring up an interesting point. Have you talked with those other kids, the ones who are raised within the an Asian culture, but being here? I don't think I have. <laughs> I only talked to other Asians who are adopted who act very Americanized like me, which I should talk to more ethnic Asians because, after all, that is where I came from. <laughs> oh, yeah. so what do you and your other adopted Asian friends talk about? Um, We basically talk about, like, oh, our parents act so white. <laughs> <laughs> Complaining about how they prepare the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do remember... Just to share this as a little reminder, when you were um, a toddler, actually a little bit older than a toddler, maybe you were three, uh, we did attempt to sign you up for uh, Chinese language school and oh, language yeah. classes because, and we did we did all the things, all the things they said we should do. Yeah, again, the adoption agencies said, well, you should be upfront with your kid about, you know, the fact that they're a, a different race and and they've been adopted and come from another place. They also said you should uh, introduce them to their their home country's culture mm-hmm. to make sure that they have a pride for where they came from and don't feel like, you know, there was something wrong with where they came from. Yeah, and we did that, and we so, went to Chinese New Year, and we, we got, you know, all the dresses. and But, yeah. Oh, and, you rocked the Chinese dress. Uh, well, she, she hated it. <laughs> so... Do the adoption are the adoption agencies run by adoptees? I don't believe. Well, some of them are. We did mm. have a gal who was an adoptee. Her name was Alice mm. when we adopted you. Um, but she she was, I think, a social worker within the agency. But it would be an interesting thing to look up and to find out because I think it probably depends because. On the what you were saying about how embracing my my home country's culture, I think it might work for some people, for some adoptees who might feel like, who might have a stronger connection to their home country. But me being two years old and being put into the Chinese language school, I do remember it being traumatizing again. Can it, you tell us why? It just... It felt like the orphanage. 
it felt like the orphanage inside. It was cold inside. Everyone was speaking the language that they spoke in the orphanage. And it was, I was at a point where I wanted, subconsciously wanted to move on. Interesting you say it, too, because I keep saying it. Interesting you say that. Um, When your mom and I saw you, yeah, you were upset when we took you to the Chinese. Like, you you were upset like you wanted out of there. And our guess was that you thought we were giving you back or something. I I do, like, distinctly remember being in the language school. I don't remember, like, details, but I do remember not feeling not feeling safe. That's, I, I had a gut feeling about and, that. And I felt safer when you stayed, but when you left, I did not like it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. I remember that. Oh, yeah, clearly you were not happy. Yeah. And I think for some people it does work, but for me, connection to my Chinese culture just, I think it subconsciously brings back some bad memories, but as I get older, I think it might be more easy yeah. Because mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that leads into the next uh, little little subject, because um, this year for Christmas, both you and your brother received, or I shouldn't say received, we, we bought you guys a DNA test. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're, we're still awaiting those results. But we realized this year that how important it was to you to find out more information about your family your family of origin and your culture and your genetics and you particularly had you asked for that for Christmas yeah well I had gotten a cheaper DNA test from a different relative but it didn't provide as many um resources as this more expensive one and it was less common so it was less likely I would find any family members and all the family members that I've found through there are all third cousins and honestly I I don't even know how to even get closer through third cousins but this new this uh test that they got me the 23andMe one since it's more popular, I'm hoping that there's more. There will be more results in my possible relatives, and it gives me a lot more information about maybe predisposed health conditions that I might have because I don't know that because I don't know what my parents yeah, had we, in their genetics. We don't know any of your parents' health records whatsoever. And we eat healthy, and. Well, you make me eat healthy. <laughs> oh, such a terrible <laughs> which is, thing. Which is helpful <laughs> for um, preventing or maintaining my health. But it's always good to know. So it's at the forefront of your mind so that I'm putting my health and my well-being yeah. as importance. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So with that idea that you're going to get these test results back, and you're going to find out information that you didn't have before. What's that that like um, with, you know, what would be the best case scenario? What would be the worst case scenario with the results? Um, I think best case scenario it would be to find a closer relative and to find out that I'm not going to have Alzheimer's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I... I, and I don't know how, how you feel about this, Scott, but um, 
you know, I have these fantasies of someday meeting your birth parents and um, and people might wonder if that's threatening, if that's kind of a, a threatening experience, you know, would be a projected threatening experience. And for me, it's a big hole because um, in, our, in our life, because there are so many aspects of who you are as our daughter that I just, you know, I put myself in the place of a mother who have birth, has birthed a child and I, I get, I get emotional uh, just even thinking about how difficult that would be. And um, so uh, do you ever think about that? Like how it would be for you to meet no, my birth for, mother? No, for you. How how would it be to meet your birth mom, your birth dad? Um, if, I, if that were I've to happen. never imagined meeting my birth dad. Never. It just hasn't been at the forefront of my mind. I think um, a mother's connection to the child is just more um, chemical and more science-y. That it's just more connection, I guess. But... I guess that's good news for you, because you're my only dad, I consider. <laughs> you know, it's it's a quirky situation, and, and, and I'm not you, and I can't tell you how you should feel about it. I just... Um, it's so weird. I just try to love you as best I can, and if you were to decide it'd be important for you to meet your birth parents, you know, both of them, either one, I would try to support you as best I can. And honestly... um. Uh, what I would imagine, obviously you can't imagine something that emotional happening, but I, what I've always imagined was I would kind of, I would meet my birth mom and I would act mad at her, but then I would feel bad because she was, she did leave me, um, she did leave me with stuff that showed that she really did love me, but, um... Yeah, I wouldn't be angry if I knew that she could have kept me and <laughs> saved me from what resides today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the questions. Right. Um, so the the thing that our listeners aren't aware of is that um, Jade was um, left in a market in China with two hundred yuan and a couple of outfits and a birth note stating the time and the day that she was born on a little red slip of paper. And we still have that little slip of paper in a safe deposit box because it's that important. And not all children get that. Uh, It's really meaningful to us anyway. Um, So, and um, Jade has a, a cleft lip and palate which is a birth defect that children in China can tend to have. And sometimes, you know, parents that give birth to children that have con- medical conditions can't afford to have them fixed. I mean, so we there are lots of narratives that we spin, you know, the possibilities of for the reason mm-hmm. um, for the, the, the abandonment at birth. Um, we don't know them. So yeah. Your mom could have been a young mother and just not ready to take on those responsibilities. Like really young. <laughs> yeah. So do you ever do you ever think about do you ever think about what your birth mother might be thinking? 
Um, no, I've never really thought about what she's thinking. I always wonder if she's even alive. Oh, Because yeah. it might have been, um, she knew she had a sickness and would die. Oh. It could have been, yeah. And if she is alive, I could imagine that she, during holidays, I've heard that her parents struggle during holidays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if she would want to meet me, though. You know, what your mom and I have seen in uh, documentaries or videos or heard stories, uh, it's a it's a ambivalence. You want to, but you don't want to. It's kind of like this push-pull, um, and it's awkward, and it's different for everybody. I think sometimes when you had the uh, reconnection, sometimes it goes really well. And you maintain contact, uh, and things kind of develop nicely. Other times, the contact's not as satisfying as you would hope. Um, I can be a, you know, I don't want this to be about me necessarily, but I, I, um, my parents divorced when I was quite young, and my father left my life when I was about three. And it wasn't like he was across town, and I could see him occasionally. He was just gone. I didn't see him physically for 20 years. So my brother and I, who were his natural children, did connect up with him and and, and get to meet up with him again. My brother's response to reconnecting with our father and my response were completely different because we were very uh, uh, set up very differently in terms of our expectations. Um, I didn't have high expectations, and so I wasn't disappointed. My other brother did. My brother had high expectations, and he was... I'm not going to say he was disappointed, but he, there was a certain letdown, definitely. And so, you know, everyone's different. Everyone's different. And even from a young age, Kai and I have had different ideas. He's always expressed that he wanted to meet his birth parents, if possible. And I have always been kind of, do I want to or not? Because, again, from the first abandonment, I don't want to experience that rejection again. You know, when you said that just earlier, the wondering if she would want to meet you, that um, that speaks to a lot of the conversations that that we have now that you're a teenager and these things are banging around in your head and um, this fear of rejection that plays out in a lot of a lot of respects with, you know, grades or uh, friends. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you ch- share a little bit about what that's like for you? Um, it's definitely hard because um, I take, well, in s- small situations that happen, such as my friends would rather hang out with someone else because they made plans before, I still get upset about it, even though I know that they, it's not personal. It's just still upsetting because, you know, that feeling is from being rejected the first time from a a huge person in the first nine months of my life, uh, it just makes that feeling more when it happens in small situations. And so it causes me to be less willing to ask friends to hang out, causes me to be more reserved. A little self-protective? Yeah, self-protective from that feeling... But what has actually helped, and I just thought of this, what has helped with the rejection portion 
it sounds weird, but um, the cats have been very helpful because <laughs> the cats because I get rejected by them on a daily basis, and <laughs> you get rejected by the cats. So does Dad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, me and Nina yeah. were not tight friends. <laughs> um, but I'm serious. Being having those tiny rejections from an animal helps you get used to that feeling, and it helps in bigger life situations. Interesting. Yeah, I did not think about that. No, I wouldn't have thought of that either. Um, But also, like, in some of our heated discussions that center around what we would say is perfectionism or, you know, wanting to have everything kind of work out and fear of failure or fear of abandonment or fear of rejection... That, you know, when we we make the suggestion to just give it a try, you know, like we think it's so easy to just um, insert what we would do or how we think. And we tend to forget that you're reliving that early abandonment experience over and over again. But it's it's very encouraging to know that you understand these things. Well, I think, yeah, I think the whole um fear of failure thing and perfectionism specifically in school and it definitely is um partly a result of my adoption but i also think that it's also a result of uh, a lot of teachers when i was younger giving me a lot of praise and me holding on to that and then holding on to that high standard for myself even when it's not necessary Ah, because you have said that you think Asians are held to a higher standard. Oh, that's a whole different issue, yeah. Okay, I I just know you've mentioned that. Yeah, in school I found that I haven't gotten as much help because I'm Asian. Ah. (laughs) Why should we help her? She's got it already figured out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, interesting you should say, too, um, about the praise you got early on. Because, you know, of course, we see how well you're doing in school. And I guess I could envision that it's no longer as as driven by perfectionism. It's no longer as driven by fear of failure or fear of rejection, excuse me, just because it's become a habit for you. You've been doing what you've been doing for so long, so consistently. Why would you change now? It's just carry on, carry through. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, sophomore year is definitely change that i during covid i just try i just try my best um but also i was thinking from that book that you got me i was learning about how uh, how babies biological babies when they're growing up in their very early age they learn from their parents that making mistakes is okay and I didn't get that mm. in the orphanage. Yeah, uh-huh. I was just left to play. But in that book, I was learning how um, most babies um, go through a lot of a lot of experimenting and a lot of exploring, and they make mistakes. But their parents are there to tell them it's okay. Oh. It's okay to make mistakes. But mm-hmm. I didn't have that for the first two years of my life. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, then that makes total sense, too, because... Um, so Jade is now taking driver's ed. 
And one of the things that we um, <laughs> that we realized early on is that things tend to come pretty easily. And if things don't come easily from the get go, she feels like Jade feels like she, there's something wrong. So driving, for example, nobody is going to be a good driver when they haven't driven before. <laughs> <laughs> and so um and you have to make mistakes when you're driving because you don't know how to apply the brakes or the accelerator or when you turn, you have to figure it all out. There are all these nuances. <clears throat> and 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 Jade would keep ap- apologizing, saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I, I said, don't apologize. It is totally normal to make mistakes. This is, that's what learning how to drive is. And often... Scott and I talked about when we were learning how to drive, we didn't have that anxiety, but that's been something that's that we've really had to work through here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, one last question. If there, is there anything that you, uh, Jade, would like to um, have people understand uh, that it's what it's like as an adoptee, um, a, a transracial adoptee. Like, what is the the main important um, point that you would like for people to understand? Like, the biggest takeaway. I think the biggest takeaway is just talk to your child directly about the difference and ask them specific questions, such as, do you want to be immersed in your in your other, in your culture, or to not feel comfortable, does that bring you back to bad memories? And talking about potential differences and how other people perceive them, because um, you're not going to understand it, but you can help them prepare for it. I think that's that idea that you might not understand. Like sometimes I have to remind myself, my reality is very different. Mm-hmm. And, and you I, don't have to understand right. either. You, But it's, it, it is important to prepare the child for that. Because if you don't, the child might be like, why am I being treated like this when my parents have never been treated like this? Mm-hmm. I was very worried about the possibility of you being teased pretty badly, you know, at some point in your life once we brought you home. And my, partly my interest in talking to you about being adopted and being Chinese was for you to hear, as I said a little earlier, you know, being pointed out maybe in a kidding but loving way. So when somebody might eventually come along and give you a hard time about it in some way, you're like, is that all you got? You should hear what my dad says. I mean, surprisingly enough, I think transracial adoptees, adoptee families, I think African-American kids get more teasing about their differences compared to their parents because I'm I'm not even speaking on their behalf. It's just like an observation I've made. Just a lot of hard feelings towards the white community from the black community just because of everything, which is totally understandable. It's just more common to see Asian adoptees. And I don't really get teased for that. I don't get teased for being 
an Asian adoptee, it more just gets pointed out a lot more than I would like. It's like, does it doesn't matter. Well, Jade, thanks a lot. That was that was really great. And thanks for all your insight. Yeah, thanks for having me. And where can we reach you if we want to find you in the future? In my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> If you're a struggling parent, you're welcome here. If you've ever wanted to give up but were afraid to admit it, you're welcome here. You can find full catastrophe parenting anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Just hit subscribe to get each new episode delivered directly to your inbox. We also have a website, fullcatastropheparenting.com, where you can get in touch with what we're doing. Thank you for listening. In the meantime, embrace the catastrophe.